The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hi, Sarah. It's Laura Nash calling from the Zero Waste Countdown. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This is awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. So, Sarah, you're the head of the Oceans and Plastic Campaign at Greenpeace. Is that right? Yeah, Greenpeace Canada. Cool. How long have you been in this role? I have been in this role for about two years, but I've been working on oceans at Greenpeace for about 12 years now. Oh, wow. Awesome. That's a long time. And you're in Vancouver, is that right? I am, yeah. Um, So this is a very, very important issue for me, oceans and plastic. And it's been a while since we focused on the oceans uh, for an episode. So we've had some scientists come on the show and talk about microfibers and uh, BPA. And we had a filmmaker come on. I don't know if you've heard of Julia Barnes. Yeah. Yeah. So she's great. So she she came on and was telling us, you know, the, the fish stocks are like almost 90% depleted and we don't see these big fish anymore that we used to see because they're all smaller. And there's just so much plastic and trash in the ocean. And we definitely need to do something about it. And Greenpeace is is well on its way to to helping. So before we get into the plastics campaign and, and what it's really about and kind of what you do... I'm wondering if we can just go back to Greenpeace and start at the beginning. There is a documentary. I can't remember the name of it, but it kind of shows where like Greenpeace and uh, Captain Paul Watson kind of split ways. But they used to be one group. Yeah. So Greenpeace actually started in Vancouver in 1971, and it formed out of this small group of people who were originally protesting uh, nuclear tests in the North Pacific. And that group at the time, they called themselves the Don't Make a Wave Committee because, you know, they didn't want nuclear testing to be done in the ocean. And from that, through more protests that they did, they named one of their boats uh, Greenpeace. And sort of from that, the organization kind of became what what we know it as today. But yeah, I mean, it really started as a people-powered movement that's grown. Um, and now, you know, we're found in over 40 countries. And there's a, a really big program that's starting too, where I think there's some ships going from the North Pole to the South Pole, or maybe it's one ship with Greenpeace? Yeah, um, it's a really exciting campaign. It's called Wealth to Protect the Oceans Campaign, uh, and that's our pole-to-pole ship tour. So we're starting in the Arctic and we're ending in the Antarctic. Basically, we want to highlight uh, the various threats that the oceans are facing, And then we also want to highlight the amazing biodiversity and the beautiful ecosystems that are worth protecting. And what we're trying to do through this global campaign is put pressure on government at the UN to create a global ocean treaty. And this treaty would help create a mechanism to allow us to protect the high seas areas. So the high seas areas are the parts of the ocean that are beyond the, you know, a country's national waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, it's very hard to protect those parts of the ocean. But that's where, you know, so much of the destruction is happening, but also so much of the marine life travels and feeds and breeds. 
And so we're really trying to get 30% of those high seas areas protected by 2030. And we need this Global Ocean Treaty to actually do that. Mm -hmm. When I joined the Navy, I thought that as a Navy, we'd be doing more to protect the oceans, but we weren't really doing that much, to be honest. So uh, no. yeah. it's it's strange to me that we we need to have organizations that are, you know, uh, not-for-profits that are doing this work, which I kind of feel personally that our, our country should be doing it a little bit more. But you're right. There is this economic zone around countries, and we're kind of only able to protect that part, like in Canada, there's this area around Canada. Do you remember what it is? I think it's like 200 miles, maybe. Out yeah, to sea. nautical miles. Yeah. And then otherwise, it's just international waters. And but some bad things are happening with overfishing and people dumping and and even us in the Navy. Like I would see the cook dump buckets of food out with all the plastic still attached, like you know, little plastic wrappers yeah. or you know, yogurt yeah. containers and stuff. And I know there's a cruise ship line that kind of got in trouble for doing that uh, a little while ago. So it's good. I think I think this is great to get more awareness about those areas that really do need to be protected. But you're also doing a campaign to the Break Free from Plastic campaign. Yeah. So the Break, break Free from Plastic is actually it's a global movement of around 1500 organizations uh, that are all working together, trying to push for massive reduction in single use plastic production. So all the different organizations work on a bunch of different angles of the issue, but generally everyone's trying to stop this problem at the source, which is the production, as opposed to sort of focusing on, you know, once all this plastic is created, then what do we do with it? So Greenpeace is one of the member organizations. And yeah, we have we have a global campaign where we're trying to get major corporations to essentially ditch single-use plastics to, to move away from their reliance on that type of packaging and, and single-use items um, and move instead towards models, product delivery models that are more based on reuse and refill and aren't so, you know, disposal-centric. And then we're also trying to get governments to ban these products. You know, many of them are very toxic. Um, they're regularly found in the environment, as I'm sure, you know, most people that have taken a walk in a community park or along a shoreline, I mean, it's it's almost impossible now to be in a green space and not see some plastic item. Right. So we're really trying to get governments to ban the most problematic and unnecessary single-use plastics. Mm-hmm. I don't like a whole bunch of government intervention, but I think it's time because you're right. Anywhere you go nowadays, it doesn't matter what country you're in or where you are. You just see litter everywhere, and it's such a big problem. So is that the the campaign that, that you're working on, or do you have other campaigns that you're working on? Yeah, so, I mean, we're part of that larger umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Canada, we've, yeah, we've narrowed in on a few areas, so through these beach cleanups and brand audits that we did last year. So instead of like the normal beach cleanup where you collect the trash and sometimes you weigh the, the trash or, or do audits on the types of trash, we took it one step further and looked at all of the plastic waste and then identified the companies or the brands um, that were behind all of that pollution. And then we compiled the information from our various locations across the country and we came up with the top five polluters in Canada. So a big part of our work uh, in Canada is to put pressure on those companies to try to change their ways. 
and also one of the top five polluters, Nestle. We also have a global campaign targeting them because they're the world's largest food and beverage producer. Um, as you can imagine, they produce billions and billions of single-use uh, plastic packaged goods. And so we're also trying to encourage them to move in the right direction. Then we also are trying to focus on our supermarkets, which is where most people see the plastic problem and try to figure out a way to navigate it. But it's very, very hard for folks to avoid plastic packaging. So we're also trying to get the big supermarket chains in Canada. Um, and it's been amazing. We've already had over 120,000 people signed a petition directed at the big retailers in Canada. So there's so much interest in the retail sector um, and trying to get them to move away from all their ridiculous packaging. And then lastly, as I mentioned before, the government of Canada has been in the process for a long time. Well, not for a long time, actually, for like a year and a half of putting together a national strategy on how to tackle plastic waste and pollution. Um, so we've been encouraging them to have bans be a big part of that strategy and also, you know, extended producer responsibilities. So holding corporations accountable, encouraging them to invest in alternative delivery systems that are more, as I said, focused on reuse and refill models. And so unfortunately, so far, the strategy has been really weak and, you know, it's way too focused on false solutions. So, um, that's another big piece of our work is we're really trying to get the government to take a strong stand and basically act in a way that reflects the urgency of the situation. Good. Yeah, Catherine McKenna has been on the show and she did mention that there were some programs coming out and it's good, but it needs to be a little bit more, I think. And I think the bans are the way to go because they have been successful in some other countries. Uh, we had someone come on the show from Sri Lanka who said that there was a ban, a plastic bag ban there, and no one was really paying attention to it because there weren't any penalties really for it and it wasn't being enforced. But then you look at Kenya, who has a very, very steep uh, penalty, and they mm-hmm. they do enforce it. And so then it works, right? So. I I hope that Canada gets on this and does it right. So you mentioned that Nestle was the top polluter. Did you say in the world and in Canada? In several countries. I think it's in like 42 countries. Nestle popped up as one of the top three polluters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But in Canada, uh, yes, they were the number one polluter. Interesting. You know what? Someone told me the other day that a lot of sit-down restaurants actually get their food from Nestle and they get them in like little packages. So Nestle will package food in these little packages. And then when you order it at a restaurant, they will like heat those packages up and put them on your plate. I don't know if you know anything about that. Yeah. And I think it's probably black plastic too, but I don't, I don't know too much. So I don't know if that's true or if that's what they're doing. I won't say the restaurant. Um, but yeah, I've heard that that kind of stuff is happening as well because I try and eat, if I'm going to eat out at a restaurant, I'll try and go somewhere where I can sit down. So then I know that I'm not going to get it served in styrofoam or plastic or anything like that. But then sometimes I wonder what's going on upstream in the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I actually, um, I had a similar experience. Well, yeah, at Starbucks where um, I was like in an airport, you know, desperate for a muffin or something. And I saw Starbucks and in the past, you know, all the 
the food that you would order would be in the display case and they'd take it from the display case and put it on your plate. And then mm. this one time I was there and I ordered a muffin or something and I saw them take a clear plastic, like a muffin in a clear plastic thing out of a fridge or something, like take it out of the plastic, throw the plastic out and then they warmed it up. And I was like, wow, okay, so every single thing in this case that's so nicely displayed, not in plastic, actually is all individually wrapped in plastic. And customers don't know that unless they're standing there kind of watching their food be be um, given. And that was a new development. I mean, it hasn't always been like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's wow. hard to avoid. It really is. Like, you know, even if you ask for, say, a bit of peanut butter, if you go for brunch somewhere or, you know, you go for breakfast, often you'll be given one of those little packets or something and it's uh, mm. yeah hard yeah. to avoid so so nestle was the worst in canada i'm a little surprised because i thought maybe tim hortons would have been the thing we'd find most on beaches and like roadways and stuff were they second yeah they were they were second yeah um a very close race and you know some of it just we did six locations across canada and i'm sure if we did another six you know maybe Tim Hortons would show up more in certain locations and that would tip the scale. I mean, we definitely found that some locations over other Tim Hortons was higher up and then in other locations, you know, they weren't. It's, it just sort of depends, I think on, you know, what are, what are the businesses in the areas and, and stuff like that. But unfortunately Tim Hortons is, I would say our most iconic trash in Canada. I mean, you can't go anywhere really without seeing the Timmy Ho cup driving down the highway, you know, in a park, on the beach. I mean, it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like it's it's a shame because the company in my view could really use its brand power and customer loyalty to really innovate in, you know, in new ways of distributing their project products to consumers that are like not so reliant on those throwaway cups. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder what the hockey player would have thought if his restaurant chain, you know, because every like he's a hockey player, he's a Canadian icon. I'm sure he was a really good guy. And then his coffee shop has turned into the second biggest polluter of trash uh, across the country. And I just sometimes wonder about that. I wish that they had a little machine so that, you know, a few months ago when I was still drinking coffee, I could just run in and fill up my cup and tap my card or my phone and then just get out of there instead of waiting in the line and or going through the drive through or anything if something was just a little bit easier for people who had their own mugs. But they do give a discount, actually, I think. I think it's like a 10 cent discount or something. And they will fill up cups, whereas I've been to McDonald's who will not fill up your really? own coffee cup. They won't touch it. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of work that, that they can do. So I'm really glad that you're working on this. And are there other campaigns that you are running as well, other than the, so you've got the break free from plastic, and then I'm not sure if you were involved in the poll to poll, or is that just sort of the international project? Um, yeah, so we are, we're, we are um, supporting that global campaign. And we actually, so one of the legs of the ship tour is in the Sargasso Sea. So the Sargasso Sea is in the Atlantic, it's kind of like off the southeast of the U.S. And it's it's a really, really amazing sea. It has these like floating forests um, where like little sea turtles, you know, like to hang out. But yeah, unfortunately, it's, 
you know, like I'm sure folks have heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, um, mm-hmm. the North Pacific Gyre, where trash accumulates. Um, well, the Sarcasso Sea, it's kind of around, it's like the Atlantic Ocean equivalent. It's like a similar area where plastic accumulates. And so unfortunately, a lot of, you know, the, the floating habitat actually is being like contaminated by plastic waste. And so the ship tour is going to go there and, and document what's happening. And, and we hope to be involved in that in some way. But otherwise, we are sharing the stories. We are trying to encourage the Canadian government to vote in favor of the Global Oceans Treaty. And we're encouraging Canadians to um, call for protection in the high seas. I just had this idea because when I was in the Navy, I didn't think we really did that much. So we would go down to Op Carib and we would take part in America's war on drugs, which is not our war. And we just legalized marijuana. So it, I don't think Canadians are really that supportive of supporting America's war on drugs. But anyway, that was one of the only yeah. missions we would do. And then we would send another ship over to what we called the box, which was in the Gulf of Aden. So we'd try and have a ship over there all the time. And otherwise... As a Canadian Navy, we would just be sailing around hosting cocktail parties for dignitaries like around the world, doing these around the world legs. And if you put a frigate up to top speed for an hour, you're going to burn about 10,000 liters of fuel. So it's a lot of it's a big fossil fuel footprint, basically, to do that. And so perhaps then if the Canadian government was more inclined to help on the high seas to to regulate the ocean and to make sure that, you know, there's not illegal fishing and dumping and all that stuff, then maybe our Navy would have a, a, a better role in the, in the world to help those things because, you know, we're not really doing a whole lot. But we have the ships yeah, and, totally. and we have the men and the women and the, you know, every everyone that's, that's in there. They're there and they're waiting to sail. That would be, yeah, that would be great. We definitely, that is, that's the reality of like our lawless high seas, but there's there's, it's so hard to, you know, enforce and get eyes on what's going on out there. Yeah, it would be amazing if, you know, more countries took ownership, mm-hmm. or not literal ownership, but you know, <laughs> stepped up and played a role in that. Yeah, and I hope in our, our Arctic too, because if if the Northwest Passage does open, I keep waiting it, waiting for it to be more and more open. But so Stephen Harper promised we would have a deep sea port in Nana Civic by 2014. And we never did. And my concern way back then was we need to have some sort of presence up there to make sure that, you know, people aren't being smuggled into the country and we have to make sure that people aren't doing really bad things up there. What if people are going and dumping or we're not really regulating or like taking care of our waters? Like I wish we had more of a presence up there, but maybe more of a presence would mean more bad things would happen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's always the, the toss up. I mean, yeah. you know. Because large ships also, you know, have impacts on migration routes of species and you know, yeah. ship strikes with whales is, an, is a growing problem. And so that's the thing. It's like also maybe we should just leave. Well, this is what we want to see in, in our call for protection of 30% of the high seas. Is like some areas should just really be left alone. It's hard to know how to how to approach also such a massive area, too. It's not like, yeah. you know, just one ocean. It's all the oceans, so mm-hmm. no small task. Yeah, because I was hoping we'd have people, more people up there, but with more people comes more garbage and, and more fossil fuels are needed and stuff like that, right, when you start to think about it. So, yeah, you're right. If some areas are just left 
protected, but then you need someone to protect them. It's so much to think about when you start opening the can of worms of how to <laughs> how to do the right thing. But um, yeah. you were mentioning the, the beach cleanups with Greenpeace. So when you guys are cleaning up all this stuff and you do the trash audits and whatnot, are you recycling what you can? And then do you incinerate the rest? Or what do you do with the everything that you pick up? Yeah, so actually a lot of it um, gets used for the creative confrontations that we do. Well, most recently, um, we did a global day of action uh, focused on Nestle, and um, people all around the world created these massive plastic monsters made out of largely uh, Nestle trash that had been created during cleanups. So often we use them in those kind of visual protests or in sculptures, installations, those types of things. We we often return it to companies. So we wow. do return a sender kind of things, being like, you know, <laughs> this, we found this and this is yours. Wow. Um, so you should take it back. We, yeah, we use it, but in displays, like if we're doing public awareness events, we mm-hmm. bring it to show kind of like the different kinds of pollution, plastic pollution that we're finding in the environment. So whatever's left over, we do recycle what we can. But unfortunately, you know, once once a lot of the stuff ends up in the environment, it's too contaminated or like it's it's not in a state that it's accepted a lot of it in the recycling system. So, yeah, it has to go to landfill. And this kind of shows just how much of it really is just trash at the end of the day. We have these high hopes of, oh, you know, that bottle I bought or whatever, like it says it can be recycled. So I'm going to put it in my bin and then it's going to get recycled. And, you know, I think now increasingly we're all learning that that just isn't the reality. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's, yeah, a lot of it goes to landfill. Yeah. But it's better than being in the ocean where it's damaging animals directly, right? Yeah, So totally. that's, that's good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, in a lot of communities across Canada, but, you know, around the world, cleanups are a necessity now. Like it's so much trash in some areas is, rolling in on the waves in some areas like I did a I did a massive cleanup and brand audit in the Philippines and the trash literally did roll in on the waves every day and so to some extent cleaning it up you know is pointless because it's you would just be there for the rest of time cleaning up as it came in Um, but at the same time you know you want to try to make a dent in it um, and try to like remove some of that trash from these areas for any wildlife that, you know, didn't get the memo that there's massive plastic pollution in that area and that they come. Um, it's it's really sad just how so many habitats and so many communities are just being, you know, are just drowning in plastic. Basically. It's terrible. Yeah. In 2010, so quite a while ago, I was hiking the North Coast Trail on Vancouver Island. So really close to you. Have you done that trail? Yeah, I love that one. Nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. I don't know if this is the same or if you saw this, but in 2010, there were Japanese water bottles everywhere. And they were like hundreds of them uh, that were all washed up. So I don't know if like a container spilled or if they're just washing right over from Japan because I know the currents come directly kind of from Japan over to BC. But that was uh, that was a big wake up call for me that things are traveling on the currents. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. I mean, because of our proximity to the Great Pacific garbage patch and that gyre, um, often it sort of burps out plastic and it makes its way to our shores on the uh, west coast here. The tsunami also 
played a role in that because it, you know, it brought a lot more trash into the ocean when that happened in Japan. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. You can, you can find plastic from a bunch of different parts of the world sometimes, depending on where you are. But yeah, I mean, definitely finding, um, in Canada that more and more it is just the well-known brands that we have in the country. And so whether the trash is being transported to waterways in the ocean through wind or storm drains or, um, you know, just leakage through transport or overflowing garbage cans on a windy day, whatever it is, increasingly beach cleanups across Canada are yielding higher numbers. And it's kind of the usual suspects in, in those findings. You know, we did a beach cleanup here on the north shore of Lake Ontario, and we found a really big number of balloons. And they weren't like Ooh. the household balloons you'd get really for like a party, like those rubbery ones. They were more so the ones, and I think they're mylar, but they're like the shiny balloons. Right. And they yeah. all had their strings on them. So we were kind of trying to dig out the strings. They were wrapped around sticks. Like it must have been... I imagine that they would wrap around some animals and and do some damage that way. But yeah, really surprised by the the amount of balloons that were washed up there. Yeah, I I've uh, I found a lot of those as well, and ugh, yeah, it's so grim. I mean, obviously balloons are so fun, but the helium ones out in you know in the outside is just it's always a bad idea. Inevitably, one of them lets go. I think there are some jurisdictions, I can't remember, that are considering not allowing people to have them outside anymore. But, uh, yeah, it's a hard one. That would be nice. Uh, it's a hard one to be the fun police when it comes oh to Oh, my balloons. gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my kid wasn't too excited when I told him we couldn't have balloons for his birthday. But we put a giant dinosaur toy that he's had on the mailbox and I was like look how nice this looks <laughs> and so I think he was okay with it yeah that's great <laughs> but I think that our world has this addiction to convenience and overconsumption I think we all have this collective addictions if you look at it in a certain way so in your vision how do you see us as basically an entire species because this plastic problem is everywhere. How do you see us getting away from so much single-use plastic? Yeah, I mean, you definitely nailed it there with, you know, our obsession with convenience and we need things now and then we need to like not deal with it. And we have become like such sort of like a rushed and thing and stuff obsessed cumulative society. Obviously not everyone's like that and, and some parts of the world are worse than others. That's for sure. But yeah, I mean, we really, 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 really need to break this disposal-centric system uh, that we operate in, where corporations are just allowed to pump out, you know, billions and billions and billions of toxic, polluting products with zero consequences. And we need governments to hold them accountable and start instead supporting this growing movement of people who are saying, you know, enough is enough to this plastic nightmare. We, we want to go back to like a sort of a simpler time. And I think I think it really is about the need to like simplify our lives, like get back to a time when we didn't, when we weren't so stuff obsessed, and there wasn't so much choice, and happiness wasn't measured against things, and convenience wasn't all about having it now, but more about you have something for a long time, or you know mm -hmm. you always have the things you need. Like that's more of a definition of convenience. It's definitely like I would say <laughs> such a complex question that I think so many people around the world right now, whether they're working on this issue or they're 
dealing with the onslaught of plastic in their daily lives and they're feeling frustrated and sad with the photos that they're seeing. I think so many people are like, how do we get out of this mess? But yeah, I think I think we just need to to slow down and and just think about convenience in a different way. And I don't mean like when I say we, I don't mean us as consumers only. It really is this, you know, the global we and corporations are are really the ones driving these stories that we've been told about these are the products to have this is the way they should come yeah the power of marketing really has has played a huge role in kind of us getting here oh yeah absolutely as a consumer like even if you're just trying to go get your groceries depending on where you live like in vancouver we have a lot of options to go to zero waste stores go to farmers markets go to bulk stores there are a lot of options, but depending on where you live, you, the only grocery store that you have may be sort of like a big Loblaw or Superstore or, you know, a Sobeys or a Walmart. And I challenge anyone to shop zero waste in those. I mean, it's, it's impossible. So even despite people's best efforts to avoid plastic, to do the right thing, to try to recycle, you take it away from it. And why? It's because corporations are packaging everything like all of our daily necessities the food you know our personal care products everything is coming in it you know not everyone has the time or the means to really search out mm-hmm. you know how to avoid it and people shouldn't have to do that it shouldn't be on all of us to do eight million things to avoid plastic when the simple solution is just well let's just not produce it in the first place because it's causing all this chaos Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's it's really unfair that I feel like I do a ton of work, honestly, <laughs> to avoid garbage. It's it's sometimes exhausting. But you've been working here for years and years. So how did you get involved in, in Greenpeace and, and this whole zero waste stuff? Um, well, after my schooling, I really wanted to, I really wanted to like work at an NGO, but I had no experience. And, you know, in, in Canada, I'd obviously heard of all the major environmental organizations like Greenpeace and Sierra Club and David Suzuki Foundation and all those. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll start by doing an internship. But at the time, I think just because of sort of when I was trying to apply, I'd missed the deadlines for some of them. And then other organizations like Greenpeace Canada didn't have internship programs at that time. And then I came across one in the U.S. office in D.C., a posting, and it was on oceans issues, which I had just been studying salmon farms um, and their impacts. And I was like, yes, I want this. So I applied and I ended up getting the job. And so I, I lived in D.C. for three months doing sort of like an intensive internship. And then oh. from there, yeah, from there I got hired on by the U.S. office for a little bit and then by the Canadian office. And then since then, I've been working in Vancouver. But yeah, I, I mean, I actually started as a Greenpeace supporter. I was living in Toronto and one of the street canvassers. Um, approached me and I was like, yes, I do, I do want to donate. I didn't have much to donate at the time because I was a student, but I was like, yes. So I've always <laughs> like had a love for the organization. And then once I started to work for Greenpeace, I, I fell even more in love. And here we are a long time later. That's awesome. That's really cool. I know a lot of our listeners are currently in university, so it's nice to hear stories like you of when you get out and then you get a good job that really matters and that's doing good things. So 
it's always nice to see the path um, where people end up going. So are there things that you do in your daily life to live zero waste? Yeah, um, I definitely do. I've, I've tried for a long time to like reduce my overall impact. Um, but definitely, you know, with a focus on waste, uh, I try my hardest, <laughs> but it, you know, uh, as others find, it's not easy. Um, and I used to travel a fair amount for work too. And, and it's even more of a nightmare, um, when you're trying to travel, yeah. but yeah, no, I do, you know, um, I do the usual, like bring my own mugs and bags and, um, containers if, you know, if I'm going somewhere where that's. Uh, necessity. I buy my groceries um, in bulk um, and unpackaged as much as possible. Um, same with my personal care products. My, you know, the refill toothpaste that you talk about. Do mm. that, and my shampoo. And I've learned to make various things um, over the years. Like I make my own odor nut or rice milk, and eat mainly a plant-based diet, which helps to cut out a lot. And actually, just the other night, I learned how to make vegan yogurt, which was really exciting. Oh, my gosh. Tell um, me, because I make yeah. regular yogurt. Is it, How do you yeah. do that? So this one is a oat cashew with a little bit of like coconut flake base. And then you use probiotics. It's surprisingly really simple. And it's really, really delicious. And then, of course, you're not like a spending a ton of money on vegan yogurt which is way more expensive and b you're avoiding the plastic packaging so yeah i'm so excited to try it i haven't made my first batch because i just learned like literally two nights ago i'm really excited so yeah i try to find things that i can make and then just you know like just getting comfortable with saying no to things i think that's one of the biggest things it's like no i don't want that yeah like i don't want that straw with that or no i don't want that um random thing that you're giving out at this event or no I don't want the cutlery on the airplane it's getting comfortable with saying no and like feeling good about that and then often explaining why which is helping to like share you know with businesses and establishments like why you're making the choice that you make yeah it's funny in in Canada and the U.S. we're so used to pleasantries so hi how are you thank you, like these things. But when you actually get into conversations with people, it almost seems like it's becoming taboo or something. Because I remember when I started taking my own containers, like I must have looked like that cat from Puss in Boots when looked with the big wide eyes and like the ears folded back holding up my container being like, will you take this and put my fish in it or my olives or whatever? And and then some people would say like no and be rude about it or some people would be nice or some people would be really confused. But it's it's hard to engage people in those weird <laughs> conversations sometimes. I'm used to it now. I can I can do it just fine. But I do remember it being weird. <laughs> so totally so weird yeah so that's yeah a big i know part. that look well <laughs> <laughs> like the you want me to put this in there but how do you even yeah it's it's a funny moment it is um their the wheels their wheels are turning inside their head like they you know you can see them thinking and and trying to figure out if they should say yes or no or like why am i doing this or is it wrong or is it right like <laughs> you really put them on the spot <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if any if any listeners want to get involved with Greenpeace, they can donate, obviously, right? Right on the website? Yeah. Yep. And are there other ways to get involved in Greenpeace if people don't have the money to donate, but they might have some time or, or a skill or something? Yeah, totally. If you go to the website, greenpeace.ca, 
there's like a section that's called act and there, you know, we have our different petitions there. We have other um, like action items that folks can do. There's also a place to sign up to volunteer. And on the plastics campaign, we actually have some cool things that'll be happening over the coming months. We're going to be doing a bunch more beach clean brand audits, hopefully in different places. But if folks are particularly interested to do a brand audit in their hometown and want to know how to do that, uh, you know, with some friends, it would be great if they signed up, you know, to volunteer. And then I think, I think when you sign up, there's like a note, maybe that says like, why are you interested? Or you can write something like that. But otherwise, yeah, you can follow along with our campaign through social media and on, on the website. And then there'll be more kind of like notices about when we plan to do these audit more and more people are doing you know when they go to the beach or whatever they pick up trash and we're seeing so many community cleanups pop up which is great and both sad that they're necessary but uh yeah we've seen lots of even the really small organizations and groups of folks do brand audits so we we are trying to collect data from all across canada and kind of use it to highlight again both who are the major contributors, but also kind of like, what are we kind of seeing in different parts of the country mm-hmm. and kind of make a case for certain single use items that are very regularly found, make a case for why certain jurisdictions should be focusing on those over others. Right. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. There's a a trash bash that's this weekend in my community and it's quite popular and I'll definitely be out. I have a funny video of my kid pulling like a doll out of a swamp and it's like a really creepy looking doll, like one you'd see in a horror movie. Uh, We found all sorts of weird things, but it would be really good to do one in our community because then it really puts a, a name not to a face, but, you know, a name a name to the items that we're seeing. Because a lot of people think, oh, trash, I don't know. Like, I have this system where it goes under my kitchen in a drawer, and then it goes out to my garage, and then it goes out to my driveway. And it's like, they don't know how to get rid of that system because it's been in place their whole lives, right? So I think when you start seeing like, okay, you know, on your street, there were this many Tim Hortons cups or something, and then maybe someone would think, oh, well, maybe I should bring my own cup. And then... It works, right? So it's a gr- it's a great idea. So hopefully, hopefully we can do that in my area too. I like it. Yeah, that would be awesome. And that's right on the on Greenpeace.ca, right? To find out the tools for doing that. Yeah, and we're actually so we have a toolkit for a plastic free future, and it outlines a bunch of different ways that you can take action in your community. And brand audits are part of that. So it, there already is a how to guide online. Uh, we're going to be updating that, and we're updating certain sections of the toolkit right now. Like the supermarket one, for example, like as I noted, there was such an, you know, an overwhelming interest in trying to get supermarkets to reduce their plastic packaging. So mm-hmm. um, we've created a toolkit for folks that like want to go further and, and push their supermarkets to make change. So yeah, but folks can download our toolkit. I think it's greenpeace.ca slash plastic and um, reach out, reach out for sure if, um, if they want to lead an event of their own. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on our show and talking to us and for all the work that you do with Greenpeace on the Plastics Project. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking to you. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean. You can find me on Patreon. Or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. 
Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. (laughs) 